Hello, and welcome to Leeds Voices, the weekly podcast brought to you by the University of Leeds. I'm Alex Regan, and this week we're joined by one of the most recognisable faces in the UK, TV presenter and journalist Nagaman Chetty. Since 2014, Naga's been waking up the nation on BBC Breakfast, and since 2020, she's presented a mid-morning show on Five Live. Naga has most recently used her platform to shine light on the lesser-known condition adenomyosis, a wound condition which can leave sufferers in constant pain. Naga also suffers from the condition and her own reporting has prompted the government's women's health ambassador, Professor Dame Leslie Regan, to say the NHS is failing women. But to kick off our conversation, I started by asking Naga about her time on the Leeds student newspaper and whether she always harboured ambitions of becoming a journalist. I got involved with the lead student in my first year and I think I was really struggling. I used to be a musician at school. So I always had orchestras and bands and lessons and I'd play at the jazz cafe and all sorts of stuff. And I had to give, I gave up my music because I had to give back my trumpet. Now I'll get to the point, I promise. I had to give back my trumpet to Ilya, the Inner London Education Authority and my piano, which I was very fortunate to have and I still have, was at home. And I was obviously in Leeds, home was in London. So I didn't really, apart from my obviously my flatmates, I didn't have a thing to do. I know you're supposed to be studying and all that, but I just didn't have an extracurricular thing to do. And because I was doing English, I thought, okay, I'll look at the lead student, just see what's going on. And I just kind of found my tribe, I think. And I'm really curious. Like that has never left me. And it just worked. I could just be curious about stuff and find stuff out. And that's why the lead student attracted me. Not because I wanted to be a journalist, not because I ever harbored any ambitions to be a journalist. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I was good at writing and I loved literature. Um, and I didn't even realize I was curious until I started at the lead student. So it's almost like um, it was it was because trying to find a tribe. And just trying to find something that would keep me entertained and also part of lead student life, um, which is really it's difficult to be a part of that when you've you've left home and you're with strangers. And, yeah, that was the only reason. And then I just enjoyed it. And you mentioned that your curiosity, Uh, obviously, to be a good journalist, you have to be incredibly curious and always asking questions. What what for you was the best story that you wrote while on the lead student? You know, it wasn't a story I wrote. It was, I had to go undercover. Now, why did I have to go undercover? And I had to wear, I wore my dad's donkey jacket type thing. And I pretended to be a sun reporter or, yeah, a tabloid reporter. And I had a baseball cap. I used to have a very, my favourite baseball cap. And it was a black Oakley one. I wore that and I had this donkey jacket with big fur collars and stuff. I remember doing this undercover report and I genuinely can't remember what it was about but that was the most fun I had because I remember just thinking no one's going to believe I'm a sun reporter and they did um but I you know I think it was just for me I genuinely there were there were lots I was kind of I flitted in and out a lot um I think it was more just learning about how universities operated because I hadn't thought about it so it was just learning how institutions institutions operated and whether or not, and it was then that I think I found a way to channel 
to channel my annoyance at injustice or what you perceive to be an injustice by the big institutions, so to speak. So um, that was the thing I enjoyed. And I was learning a lot. I learned a lot. But I, I will completely fess up. I cannot remember the big story, the favorite story. I just remember the feeling, the joy of being in there and knowing that I was part of something that was kind of raging against the machine a little bit. And how uh, and how has that uh, helped inform your uh, journalism going forward then? Because obviously you're talking about, you know, punching up and holding big institutions to account. Part of my job is to challenge, challenge those in power, hold those in, hold, hold those in power to account without fear or favour. Um, and I do that to the best of my ability. Um, but I think what my time at Leeds Student did, it just, it sparked the fact that I could do that um, and that any of us can do it. And the And what it got me thinking about was, how do we write a story that matters to students? How, how do we write a story that could seem really dry on the surface? Um, and students, you know, they're busy. They're too much, too busy having fun. Um, how do we make them interested? How do we make them care? So how do we tell them that this affects them? And that message doesn't change. Every time I interview a politician, best compliment last week, um, someone came up to me and said, two people did it on the same day, actually, came up to me and said thank you for asking those questions we were screaming at the telly you ask you always ask the questions we want to we want to ask you serve your audience and that's the joy of it it's finding a story taking your curiosity and infecting others with that curiosity to show them why it matters why it cares how it affects them and that's what i learned so just because we were you know a narrow audience you know in comparison to what i do now the students um and also when you got the the hierarchy listening it was always it was always um felt like an achievement but yeah that's that's the lesson serve your audience music was really important to me i went to a saturday music college and i had done so since like the age of 9 so and i played the trumpet and the piano um and what i loved about you know once you become a certain standard what, what I loved was I was playing in orchestras I was playing in bands and although I had my tribe at school you know my really good friends in all sorts of areas music was definitely a big thing in my life um and I've always enjoyed even though I have a core group of friends and as I did at uni I've always enjoyed having my own thing I suppose what's weird now is I, if I were to have my own thing now it's like golf which I only started about 14 years ago 13 years ago but it's it it's having something that's all yours that is your personal development um and that's why I missed music and that's I think why I ended up and I I, I don't have a trumpet anymore I've not, not picked one up since I was 19 I think I tried one when I was about in my late 20s early 30s my embouchure has completely changed so it's never going to sound good and once you've been good at something you will never go back to it if you can't be good at it again because you're too frustrated <laughs> Um, I still have a piano at home, which I do tinkle on. And I'm not as good as I was, but I tinkle on it and then get frustrated and step away from it and then go back to it. And I do have joy when I can play a piece of music I love well again. Um, but that's making time to practice, of course. But um, so it's not out of my life. And obviously I love listening to music. I dance and you know sing and blah, blah. But I think 
now, especially now I've got golf, which I know you didn't kind of want to go to that area, but now I've got golf, I realize I need, I need to be selfish in at least one area of my life. I need to have something for me that is just for me, that makes me feel good that I can do something well or I've done something well. And it brings me personal joy, personal development. I think it's important. It's for me. I haven't looked into it, but I'm not sure that there's a podcast where a journalist just interviews someone about their day-to-day life while golfing. And I wonder, would that be something that you'd consider doing? I'd love to do something like that. But, you know, there was something called Around with Alice, with the late, great Peter Alice. Um, and it wasn't a podcast, obviously, it was a programme. And that's tried to be got off the ground. I'd love to do something like that or, or a podcast. But And I think it would be one of those podcasts. I don't know how you listen to podcasts. I listen to them in all sorts of ways. But I often fall asleep to podcasts. Um, and it would be a lovely or if you're on a long train journey, like you can just look out the window and just listen to a, an ambling conversation and just see where it goes. The only problem with that is when you play golf with someone so I played with someone just yesterday afternoon who I'd met a few months ago and just really clicked with which is quite a rare thing the older you get you don't click with as many people because you kind of have your group of friends and we had a great round and got to know each other the only problem with that is that you tell each other things you wouldn't want out in the public not because they're bad but because they're so personal so I don't, don't know if you'd ever for a podcast ever quite get that insight, do you know what I mean? That unguarded insight that you get on the golf course. You know, the conversations where they they go from, oh, yeah, you know, what you're making for dinner tonight or what, where do you like going out for dinner to I'm really struggling at the moment. I've really struggled with this and I just hadn't thought about it. You know, something like that. I don't know if you'd get that on a podcast. I wanted to actually ask you a little bit about you putting some of yourself out there as well. Uh, very mm. recently, obviously, um, you've now become quite a public voice for women who suffer with uh, adenomyosis. And well done on pronouncing it correctly. That, that took a couple of tries. <laughs> adenomyosis or adenomyosis, as some people say. Either way, as long as we're talking about it. Yeah. So I, I heard the clip of you announcing uh, your own diagnosis on the Five Live mm-hmm. show. And the thing that I found really powerful about it was you just setting out your stall and saying, I am here now and I am in pain. And it shows it, it's something that you put out there that I guess as a journalist, you wouldn't traditionally, you're usually the person who's scrutinizing and, uh, and asking people questions. How did it feel to, you know, show a little bit of vulnerability yourself? And do you think that that was needed to propel the story in the way that it has been propelled? So, um, I'll give you a bit of background. I remember when I started on five, I also did something about the coil and how um, my experience of the coil and coil insertion. And we actually changed um, guidelines for women being offered anaesthetic for it. And that came about from an article I'd read, Catelyn Moran had written about her experience. And I was ranting, as I tend to do in my morning meeting, about, I just think it's outrageous. And I had this and no one's all mad. And they, they just went, would you talk about this? Because it's obviously an issue. And it it was. So I put myself out there and was very, very nervous because a journalist, as you say, we want to tell the story. We want to explore the story. We never want to be the story. So when we did this adenomyosis um, show um, program and all, a lot of work that we've done into put into it, 
I did have a real wobble the day before because at that it was the weekend before it went out that we'd called the ambulance. My husband called an ambulance because I'd been in so much pain. And I'd mentioned, and we were planning to do it for this Monday. And then that weekend it happened. And I just kind of mentioned it. And I said, I'm not going to talk about that. That's too much. And I wasn't persuaded to do it, but it was said, look, this is how bad it can get. And the fact is, I do have a platform. I'm very fortunate I have a platform in terms of I am a BBC Breakfast presenter. I'm a Radio 5 Live um, presenter. And, you know, I'm known as a BBC presenter, journalist. And I, my point was with that, that although... I gave my experience. It wasn't about, oh, woe is me. Feel sorry for me, please. Look how hard I'm working and I've got this, blah, blah. It's, and no woman I've spoken to has, who has this condition ever speaks like that because you just put up with it as best you can until, you know, some kind of treatment is offered. Um, it was more about, and this is what shocked me, if I am not getting answers, and I'm someone who pushes for answers. And trust me, when I was speaking to my gynecologist, that man was challenged every step away. Everything he said was scrutinized. And he's been brilliant. He's been absolutely brilliant, even though there are there are very few answers. If I'm not getting the treatment I need, what about people who aren't as fortunate to have, you know, those interrogating, interrogational skills? Um to who has a, a more forensic attitude to um, information, who won't take no for an answer, who won't accept that the medical profession knows everything, who is just stubborn and who also has a platform like this. And I just thought if I can say, look, here's, here's me who you may think is, you know, great job, runs, great life, got nice, you know, cats, plays golf, really happy, whatever. And I'm going through this crap. We need to shout about it to make sure that everyone's talking about this rubbish and not putting up with it. So, yes, although I had to put myself out there, it genuinely was more about we need to give a voice. We need to kind of we need to empower people to speak up. And for also not just the women who are struggling with it, but the men who want and their partners who want to advocate for them and know how to advocate for them. What's the end goal then uh, in terms of uh, the advocating for adenomyosis? What uh, what do you think needs to happen? Because, I mean, even, you know, just, just thinking about my own partner and her issues with accessing women's health uh, oh. experts uh, in the NHS, she feels that uh, it's chronically underfunded and uh, uh, that she, she's she been struggling to get the answers that she wants as well. Well, we've, ra- we've raised awareness. Um, we have... We interviewed Dame Leslie Regan, who is the government's first ever women's health ambassador, right? So I interviewed her and she has been talking about, and she's also a gynecologist, and she's been talking about um, setting up hubs. It, the problem, and your, your wife, I'm sure, and you are very, very well aware, the problem with the way women access um, health advice and health treatment is the fact that it's so bitty in the UK. So you can go to one, you can go to your GP Maybe the next time you go, you see a different GP. They're catching up on your notes in a limited time slot. And then you get referred to a scan. But then that scan is done about that. And then you have to go somewhere else for a different scan or for the results, see someone else. You're not getting continuous treatment. So these hubs are being set up as a one-stop shop almost where you 
where there are specialists. So you're not being given sent to a GP, for example, who may not have any idea what adenomyosis. We had GPs get in touch with us. So they did. They didn't know what adenomyosis was. They knew endometriosis. But they didn't know adenomyosis. So there will be specialist hubs because women's health, I think, I do think has been neglected. And I do think we women have had lesser health treatment, lesser quality health treatment. So the ultimate um, aim is obviously for us to just be heard automatically, treated as soon as practically possible. And we know the restrictions and the restraints on the NHS at the moment. Um for it not to be some kind of lottery and for women to be able to be confident enough to know that when they say there is a problem, they are believed. They are not just fobbed off. You don't start life as a 13 year old girl where the local authority is now coming down on you and your parents because you've missed so much school because your periods are so heavy that you pass out and throw up, which is what I experienced at school. People, women need to have that confidence that's the ultimate goal but i don't think it's just through adenomyosis is it it's about us screaming shouting and demanding to be treated ultimately with respect and not just as these alien beings being told oh well we don't know how to cure that so have a hysterectomy and not being expected to accept that nonsense It's currently graduation season and thousands of students are crossing the stage in the Great Hall like you will have done when you graduated. I wanted to ask you, how did you feel when you were graduating? What was it like back in 1997 when you graduated? I was really excited about my hat and my gown. Um, and I was really excited about throwing my hat in the air like you used to see in the films. So that sounds really pathetic. I think because by the time we got our grades, we'd had our summer, you know, and we'd had we'd had our fun. You kind of, I think, you know, I kind of knew I I could have done better, hadn't done better, probably had too good a social life at some points, you know. Um, I I I remember feeling really pleased for my parents because I was the first uh, child on my dad's side to graduate from university, and. Uh, and I know what my parents went through and how scared they were of one sending me to university and being able to support me as much as they could um, financially. And uh, I remember just being really pleased for them, I think. Um, and also, <laughs> I think I just, I think it wasn't so much the degree. Just the fact that I'd done three years, I was actually going to go, I went and did a postgrad back in London in newspaper journalism. But I think it was just the fact that uni's the best time of your life, honestly. It's the best time. And you don't quite realise it until you really start working properly. I had two jobs while I was uni, but, I, you know, it's the best time. And I think it's just, I think I was almost tinged with a bit of sadness that it was over. Because you have that summer just before graduation where you just party, don't you, if you're lucky enough. I was still working, but you just party and you you stay up a bit longer at uni if you can, if your lease allows you to, and, you know, just do all the things where you can go out, have fun, still have all those great student nights that are still going on till, you know, the next year. Yeah, throwing the hat up in the air, making sure I didn't fall over. Um, 
and yeah, going out afterwards. It sounds really shallow, but I, I actually don't. I don't. Uh, I don't mind being that shallow at that age because there's plenty of time to not be and to think more seriously about stuff. And and getting on to the more seriously, do you have a message for graduates who are graduating now? Uh, maybe some pearls of wisdom um, from uh, from your time uh, working as a journalist and uh, having uh, having started that journey and continuing that journey into uh, into the big bad world post university. Trust your gut; uh, it will serve you well. Um, this will sound really trite, but just try to be the best you can. Don't do anything half-heartedly. It's just not worth it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Don't do it half-heartedly. Unless it's something really rubbish, like having to clean the toilets or something, do it. Do it properly. It's done. You know, no one wants to do that. But you've got to, it's a necessary part of life. Um, but when you're at work, speak up. Find, and if you're not heard... This is what you will learn when you first start working, right? You will go into a meeting room and there will be loads of people who talk utter nonsense. There's a good word. Utter nonsense and love the sounds of their own voices. And there will be others in the room who buy into their nonsense because they're just speaking to fill the void. And you will be sitting there going, is it me or are they talking utter nonsense? Nine times out of ten, they will be talking utter nonsense. But what you will be angry about is the fact that you didn't speak up with the contradictory point of view that you know is right. And you know that the meeting or whatever comes back round to that eventually. And you didn't speak up. Sometimes you will be wrong. That is OK. But be part of the conversation with something valuable to add. Don't flim flam in the air for the sake of it. No one likes that. But think about. Be part of it. Be present. Be in there. Partake in life because it's short. So just be part of it. I don't know if that's a pearl of wisdom. But that's what I wish I'd been told and believed when I was younger. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Leeds Voices. It was written and produced by me, Alex Regan. Leeds Voices is brought to you by the University of Leeds Advancement Team. You can follow us on social media at Leeds Alumni or email us at alumni at leeds.ac.uk. Listener.